Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Midweek Musings. My name is Evie Breitbach, and I'm a student at SAU. But you guys probably already know all the details because I bet you've been listening to the podcast. This is episode three. So if you haven't heard me already, hi, again, I'm Evie, and welcome to the podcast where we break your brain for fun. (laughs) But really, this is um, a podcast all about deep topics, unanswerable questions, philosophical ideas, you name it, we will probably talk about it at some point. So far, we've talked about time and color, more so our perceptions of color. And both of those things, surprise, are illusions. So this week, I decided to talk about something that's both fact and also kind of an illusion. So sorry in advance. This week's topic is going to be all about dreams and sleep. Why do we have dreams? What do dreams mean? All that good stuff. All that good stuff. Lately, I've been having a lot of weirdly specific dreams that always make me wake up and be really either confused at why my brain decided to come up with that, or I'm like, oh, that's the person I know. Why were they in my dream? Concerning, whenever I talk to people about dreams, more often than not, they say they can't remember them. So additionally, I'm going to talk about why some people can remember their dreams and others can't. Also, why are some people more vivid dreamers than others? All that being said, this week is going to be a little bit of a doozy. So strap in and let's just get right into sleep facts. Before we can unpack everything about dreams, I think it's important to first understand sleep. A lot of listeners probably already know some of this, but I for one always get confused So here's a couple fast facts about sleep. We spend one third of our lives sleeping, which is a lot if you think about it. Sleep is as essential to life as is food and water. You hear that people? Start sleeping. To my fellow college students who think that they don't need sleep, I am calling your bull because you do. It says right here in my notes, which I found on a credible website. It was a .gov website. Without sleep, we can't form the pathways in our brains that let us learn and create new memories, and it's harder to concentrate and respond quickly. You've probably experienced the last couple things, having trouble concentrating and responding quickly when you're tired, but you actually have a better memory when you get sleep, and you can form new memories easier. So if you think that staying up late and cramming for that test is helping you, it's actually not. It'd be better to just study what you can and then go to sleep and let your brain form the pathways that you need to remember the knowledge. So sleep works in stages. Every night you cycle through four stages of sleep several times. Stage one is non-REM sleep and is the changeover from wakefulness to sleep. During this short period of light sleep, which only lasts a few minutes, your breathing and eye movements slow, your muscles relax, and your brain waves also slow down. Stage two is also non-REM sleep and is another period of relatively light sleep. During this stage, your heartbeat and breathing slows further, your body temperature drops, and your eye movements stop altogether. Which moves us into stage three, which is a period of deep sleep that you need in order to feel refreshed in the morning. If you don't wake up feeling refreshed, chances are you didn't get much deep sleep that night. This occurs in longer periods throughout the first half of the night. Your heartbeat and breathing are the slowest in this stage. Your muscles are very relaxed, and this is the stage that's the hardest to wake up from. 
And then finally, stage four of the sleep cycle is REM sleep or REM sleep, which I'm going to call it from now on because it's easier to say. REM stands for rapid eye movement. This occurs during the first 90 minutes after falling asleep and then continuous as you cycle through the stages. During this stage, your eyes move rapidly from side to side behind your closed eyelids, which is kind of creepy once I think about it. Like, if you've ever looked at somebody's closed eye while they're moving their eye, it's horrifying. So to think that that's what we do for a good chunk of sleep grosses me out. Anyway, your brain activity is actually similar to that of when you are awake during REM sleep. Your breathing becomes fast and irregular, your heart rate and blood pressure increases, and it's all almost the same as waking levels. As you get older, you actually spend less time in REM sleep. And in REM sleep, as you can imagine, is where most of the dreams we experience happen. I read somewhere online, same .gov website actually as earlier, that you spend two hours every single night dreaming. Now, I found contrary facts on other sources that say you don't necessarily dream every night, they don't know how long we dream every night, but the idea of everyone dreaming two hours for every night, I don't know if I buy that. Because <laughs> I can only ever remember probably a few dreams every week, but some people don't remember any ever, which is crazy. And let's just say this is the perfect segue into talking about how dreams work on a scientific level. So the exact science of dreams can get super confusing, and I wanted to gouge my eyes out after having read about it. So let's just say, in short form here, that there's a lot of chemical changes that happen in your brain to allow for dreaming. There, during this complex series of chemical steps and circuits, it essentially acts like a switch that allows for the higher parts of our brain or our Brian, as I wrote in my notes, <laughs> allows for the higher parts of our brain to be active while the body does not respond to these signals like it would during the day. The same parts of the brain that are on while we were dreaming are the same ones that we use to see, remember, smell, taste, and move. In other words, we aren't actually experiencing sensory input, but the chemical changes happening in our brain are giving our brain what feels like sensory input. And those parts of the brain that interpret sensory input are still active. So that's why our dreams feel like reality. As I mentioned earlier, dreaming most often occurs during REM sleep, but it also can occur during stage three of deep sleep. Your brain activity during REM sleep is similar to what it looks like when you're awake. So that allows for your brain to create these images from sensory detail based on the chemical changes that occur in the brain. Okay, I think that is a pretty good explanation of dreams and sleep and everything without getting way too confusing. So from there, let's get into my favorite part, which is the section about why we dream and dream content and how that all varies from person to person. So first and foremost, we have dream theory, which has been greatly debated throughout history by a lot of different philosophers and psychologists and everyone. The first person that we need to talk about is the founder of psychoanalysis, the lovely Sigmund Freud. <laughs> I have my feelings about Freud, which are not positive feelings, but we don't need to get into that now because I can do an entire episode about that. 
but because he had such an effect on dream theory and psychoanalysis, we have to acknowledge him. Freud's theories about why we dream and why we dream about what we do is all based on the idea of repressed longing, the desires that we aren't able to express in a social setting. If you know anything about Freud, you can probably put two and two together about what specific things he's talking about. But Freud believed that dreams allowed the unconscious mind to act out those unacceptable thoughts and desires. A different philosopher later on, his name is Carl Jung, studied under Freud, but then decided that his own ideas differed from Freud's too much, so he went in his own direction. Jung agreed with the psychological origin of dreams, but rather than saying that dreams originated from our primal needs and repressed wishes, he felt that dreams allow us to reflect on our waking selves and solve our problems and think through issues that we experience in our real life. And I think to an extent that can be true, because a lot of the times I wake up after having a dream about whatever, I, whatever it was, and it just puts my life into perspective. Another more recent theory came in 1977. Researchers Alan Hobson and Robert McCarley set forth another theory that threw out all old psychoanalytical theories. Their research on what was going on during, in the brain during sleep gave them the idea that dreams were simply the result of random electrical brain impulses that pulled imagery from traces of experiences stored in the memory. I think this is probably the most likely scenario that dreams are a result of random electrical impulses, but I don't think that means we can't look further into dream content and see what we're dreaming about and how that can provide insight into our waking lives. It's definitely more fun that way, at least. Generally, it's accepted that dreams represent a collection of thoughts, struggles, emotions, events, people, and places that are relevant to the dreamer in some way. And I think that's where it comes. I think that's where the memory comes into play because Hobson and McCarley said that these random electrical impulses draw from experiences stored in the memory. So I think that's where the significance comes from. For example, people who experience PTSD are much more likely to have nightmares because that is what the experiences in their memories are. People who have had a lot more happy experiences are more likely to have happier dreams just simply because that's what their brain can pull on. There's also something to say for things that are occupying your thoughts. If you're living through a stressful time, maybe like financial struggle, um, that's also more likely to come up in your dreams because that's what's occupying your current thoughts. And I, that has been, once I read that, I realized how true that is because I, <laughs> if any of these people are listening, you'll know, but there was a time in high school when like three and three of my friends at least and myself all had the same dream of our band director kidnapping us <laughs> because and I, I realized looking back, it's probably because we were spending so much time in all of our band music-related extracurriculars that we felt like we didn't have any time for anything else, and so it felt like we were being kidnapped. <laughs> and it's really funny because we all had a really similar dream. And then another time, on a more much more scary note, I had a really realistic dream of somebody I know and care about getting in a car accident and it was so vivid and when I woke up it like put my entire life in perspective and I started making that person text me before they left and to drive anywhere I was like text me when you leave and text me when you get there 
because in my head it was like so scary moving on from the actual content of dreams i think we should talk about why we only remember some dreams and why some people remember more than others i tend to remember a lot of dreams or what i perceive to be a lot i'm sure i have a lot more that i have no idea about but for example my sister who is almost the same as me in basically every way hasn't remembered a dream since she was a little kid so why is that how quickly we recall the details of certain dreams depends a lot on how deeply we've been sleeping, the content of the dream, and activities and routines we engage in when we wake up. So everyone dreams, but not everyone remembers their dreams. Many of the most vivid and odd dreams we experience occur during REM sleep, and people woken up from this stage of sleep frequently report the bizarre phenomena we associate with memorable dreams. It is said that five minutes after the end of a dream, we have typically forgotten 50% of the content, and after 10 minutes, we have already forgotten 90%. So, if you happen to wake up right after a dream and jot down everything you know that happened, you might actually have a shot at remembering a lot of the dream, but only the written down memory. You're not going to have the memory in your brain, but you can read it back later and hopefully that'll stir something up in there. Another thing from person to person that varies is just their level of memory. People with a better memory typically are able to remember dreams. That seems obvious now that I'm saying it out loud, but it's important to note. There are many common theories for why we forget dreams. The first being that the hippocampus, which is a structure in the brain responsible for learning and remembering things, is not fully active when we wake up from a dream. This would result in a dream being present in our short-term memory and the hippocampus is unable to commit it to long-term storage. So that's why right when you wake up, you seem to have all the knowledge and then like later in the day when you go to tell your mom about it, as I've done on so many occasions, it's already gone and it's crazy. Additionally, others think that dreams which are not important enough to remember will just be discarded by the brain and this may be true of why we can only recall certain dreams, because maybe the rest of the dreams that happen the rest of the night are just boring old every day, you wake up and go to school, go to work kind of dreams. Seems unlikely, but you can't know because you didn't remember it. <laughs> Another theory for why remembering dreams varies from person to person is personality traits. Scientists actually think that people who are more prone to daydreaming and introspection during their waking life have less difficulty remembering their dreams because I don't know why. I, I can't give you a because, but it makes sense, right? If you're more used to reflection and quiet thought, you're probably going to be more likely to remember these things. So... To conclude that mini-segment, there are a lot of different factors that contribute to a person remembering their dreams. Some of those being when you wake up, like how long it was after the dream and what stage of sleep you were in, like deep sleep or REM sleep. Um, your personality traits or I guess how fast your hippocampus can wake, wake up and get moving after you wake up from sleep. Another facet of dreaming that is interesting to talk about is lucid dreams. I don't know if you've heard of it before. I had, but I didn't really understand it. But 
We are typically unaware that we are asleep while we are in the midst of a dream, but it is possible to become aware that we are dreaming and even gain control over your dreams, and that is called lucid dreaming. Most of the time, lucid dreaming is random and spontaneous, and you can't control when it happens or if it happens to you, but there's been practices to attempt to induce lucid dreaming, such as of reflection technique before bed. People don't know if that actually works, but you could always try it. You basically just, before you go to bed, it's kind of like meditating, and the the thought is that you'll be able to lucid dream during the night. I don't know. I'd be interested to see if that works. I'm guessing it probably doesn't, but you never know. It's estimated that only 50% of people will ever experience a lucid dream, and most of those people will only ever experience one. And this is where I get to be all quirky and different and say that I actually lucid dream a lot. And I'm not trying to be annoying by saying that. I didn't realize that that's what that was until recently, and that's part of why I decided to talk about it on this episode because I thought that was just normal and that everybody experienced that. But apparently, dreams are more like an out-of-body experience. I don't know. It's weird. It's definitely odd, and it's hard to imagine not lucid dreaming. I'm not saying every dream I have is lucid, because it's definitely not the case, but I've had many, and more frequently than I realized until I was thinking about it the other day. Like one time I had a dream about Attila the Hun chasing me with an axe and I was in the dream. I was like, oh, it's fine. I'm in a dream. It's all good. And so I like let Attila the Hun like completely shred me with his axe. And I was like, no biggie. I'll just wake up and I'll be fine. It was weird. And I woke up and I was fine. (laughs) Like I didn't like try to change anything because I know some people say like, "What, what am I trying to say? People say when they lucid dream, they, like, have control over their actions. I did to an extent, but I didn't really care enough to do anything, I guess. That's just an example of that sticks out to me because I think that was the first one that I had. With that, I think we've about reached the end of today's episode. Before you go, though, I want to give everyone a few tips on how to get a good night's sleep because we kind of talked about that at the beginning about how you need sleep as much as you need food and water. And maybe if you get a good night's sleep today, you can have a dreamy sleep, maybe even a lucid dream if you're lucky or unlucky, depending on how you look at it. So here's a couple tips for you. Avoid caffeine late in the day. I think you probably already knew that. And also avoid alcoholic drinks before bed. Keep your room at a comfortable temperature, even a little on the colder side. You can set a routine in which you go to bed and wake up at the same time every day, which I know is so difficult, but it really does help. Um, There's a lot to say about exercise. Exercise definitely helps improve your quality of sleep, but did you know that you shouldn't exercise a few hours before bed? And that actually, when I read that, that makes a lot of sense because I used to rehearse for a show choir in high school on Monday nights until 9 p.m., And every single Monday, for pretty much all four years of high school, I couldn't sleep. And I never really knew why that was. And I realized it's probably because we were dancing and, like, singing and exerting ourselves, doing all this cardio at, like, 9, right before bed. I mean, we would go after 9 half the time, too, anyways. So, I mean, that explains a lot, looking back. Those were just a few little tips for you. So, 
Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to episode three of Midweek Musings. I know this one was also a little on the shorter side, but, you know, I'd rather have a shorter episode that's packed with wonderful content rather than a long episode that just kind of drags on and on. It means a lot if you're still listening and a lot if you have listened to the other two episodes as well. I'll be back Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. next week on 106.1 KELA FM, or you can find me on Spotify. Just search Midweek Musings. It'll also be on the KALA FM website, too, so you can find me there. And if you happen to think of anything interesting to talk about on the show, totally let me know, and I can start my research. But for now, I'll say goodbye until next Wednesday. Thank you again for listening. This podcast was recorded at the studios of KALA-FM, St. Ambrose University. Opinions expressed are not necessarily those of KALA Radio or St. Ambrose University.